Welcome. You are listening to Sermon Audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. transitional video we'll be using in this series depicts for us uh, a lot of events that, you know, if you keep up with the news and, and all, you may have been seeing on television uh, events, you know, such as terrorism or such as uh, natural disasters. And because of the world that we live in, because of those events, I think sometimes it's easy for our faith to be shaken or for us to turn to uh, other avenues to find help. Uh, rather than turn where we should, and that's to God being our fortress. Uh, we're going to do a four-part study uh, on Psalm 46. Uh, you've heard me allude some about uh, what initially got me, I think, loving Psalm 46 years ago is that my grandmother had written down a date uh, beside uh, Psalm 46 in an Old New Testament that she uh, owned that was the date that my grandfather had died of a, of a massive stroke. Uh, so she found peace and comfort there. Uh, a lot of you may be aware of this, that uh, Psalm 46 was kind of the basis uh, for Martin Luther, who started the Reformation of him writing, A mighty fortress is our God. Uh, and uh, we need to recognize that. We need to realize that he is a mighty fortress. The historical background, at least what many Bible scholars give uh, to Psalm 46, uh, is a period in the life of King Hezekiah in the southern kingdom of, of Judah. Uh, it was a time period when uh, an Assyrian king, Sennacherib, and his army uh, had kind of come through Israel, uh, defeating everyone. They'd already defeated the northern kingdom uh, and hauled their king away. Uh, and they'd been coming through the southern kingdom, kind of city by city. And now they're not far from Jerusalem, waiting to come in and lay siege uh, to the city of Jerusalem. Uh, needless to say, all the people in Jerusalem, seeing this large army and how victorious they had been to this point, coming up against them, shook their foundations a little bit. And they were a little bit worried about the circumstances uh, that they were facing. Uh, Sennacherib in the Syrian army, by the way, was literally being used by God. And sometimes we have a hard time understanding that concept because here's a heathen king and a heathen nation uh, being used by God to straighten his own people out because his people, the Jews, had forgotten about him. So he sends this invading army in to kind of shake them up and, and remind them. So we might ought to take a warning from that ourselves. Uh, a lot of the things we might be concerned about in our world as we listen to the news, uh, God can use uh, strange events. God can use uh, people that look like they have nothing to do with him to get our attention. Uh, God can use circumstances. God can use invading armies, so to speak, also to get our attention. So maybe we need to, to heed a warning and take a warning from that. Uh, the background that I just referred to, and it would probably be good if you go home uh, this week and if you'd read Second Kings uh, chapter 18 and 19 and Second uh, Chronicles chapter 32 and uh, Isaiah chapters 36 through 37, all of those address this time period that most Bible scholars attribute to what's being referred to in Psalm 46. So if you think to, uh, read over those things. I'll be reading some as we go through the, through the message. Before we actually uh, launch in uh, to the message itself, 
Uh, at the very first of this psalm, uh, as it is in many psalms, it's referred to as a song. Of course, the word selah appears in it. I, I mentioned that last week during our testimony service. The word selah appears three times. And what that word means, it was like a musical notation to, to pause. Uh, Bible scholars feel like it meant to stop and think about what you had just sang in the song. Uh, so for us, as we read the word selah in the Psalms, when we see that, we need to stop and reflect upon what was just said. The, the word literally means to hang up, to weigh, to contemplate, to value, to walk upon or have underfoot. So what you and I need to do is we're reading in the Psalms, and especially in this series in Psalm 46, we need to kind of hang up and weigh some of the promises and truths that God gives us. Uh, we need to walk by faith upon those promises that God gives us. As I mentioned a moment ago, it was a song. Uh, there's a little title heading there uh, that says to the choir master. That would kind of be the equivalent of me writing a letter in this day and time, uh, I guess, to, to John as our, as our worship pastor. Uh, and it said to the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to the Alamoth. That word Alamoth means young ladies. No one really knows why, but that's what it uh, means. And then it says it's a song. As we go through Psalm 46, we find some corporate words, our, we, us. So this song was designed to be sung in, in a way of communion, in a way of community, in, in a way of people singing it together corporately. Uh, and as they would sing it, this psalm was a reminder of the presence of God. That's what Psalm 46 is about. Psalm 46 is not telling you you will not ever go through difficulties, and I'll speak to that in a moment. Psalm 46 is telling you that as you go through difficulties, God is present with you. And that's what they were singing about together. It's a psalm that focuses on the Lord and what or who he is to his trust in people. So since it was a song, and since it talks about God's people trusting in him, we microsomize this, that even when we're facing difficulties like we'll read about in Psalm 46, trying circumstances, even when we might be like Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem, when they had this invading army outside, even in very difficult situations, if we focus on the presence of God, we can still have a song in our heart. Amen? So that being said, the band did not forget to leave the stage today. I intentionally held them there because you're not through singing yet. We're going to do one more song, and I want you to stand and sing and think about the presence of God, and I'll be back in a moment. my trust in you I will place my trust in you my deliverance faithful and true I will place my trust in Oh 
you guys for staying up and, and doing this song. That, by the way, in case you didn't know that, that's a song that John uh, wrote. He won't say that probably. It's a small print up there on the screen. But it's a perfect song, I think, for what we're going to uh, talk about. We're going to look at the first three verses of Psalm 46. And we just talked about putting our trust in Him. So I want us to do something a little bit different today. Uh, when I start to read the Scriptures, why not read it aloud with me uh, this morning, if, if you would. You ready? God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar in foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. And then that word silah, that we need to think about what we just have read. What we're going to look at today is this. We're talking about God being our fortress. We're going to see that God is our refuge and strength. We're going to see that God is a very present help. And because of those things, we're going to see how God should be our confidence when we're facing uh, very difficult things in, in our lives. So first of all, uh, first falling in, filling the blank uh, in, in the notes that we've got for you inside the updates. <clears throat> God, our fortress, is this. He is our refuge and strength. Now, before I talk about refuge and strength, I want to just focus upon the first two words of that verse because it simply says God is. Uh, if we would think about that and recognize that God is the supreme God, that's what the word Elohim means, that God is all-powerful, he's the supreme God. No matter what our circumstances are that we're facing in life, we could be facing tragedies or trials, uh, disappointments, discouragements. We could be looking at the world scene and uh, feeling like there's an invading army coming after us like the children of uh, Jerusalem would have felt in that time, the people living inside the city of Jerusalem. If we would stop and remember that God is, that he is all-powerful, and that would help our perspective and the way we deal with issues and problems when we're facing those types of things uh, in, in our life. Uh, God is, he's our refuge to start with. Let's talk about that, God being uh, our refuge. God is our, is our refuge. Uh, the word means this, it means a shelter, a rock of refuge. Uh, it was also translated as hope or trust. Uh, it's built on a root word in the Hebrew uh, that means to flee for protection, to confide in, to take refuge in. Uh, in the Psalms, you read often about God being our stronghold, uh, God being our high tower, God being our fortress. We'll find some of those words in Psalm 46. And what I'm suggesting to you is we need to remind ourselves of that. We need to remember right in the midst of all that we're going through that God is our refuge. As I kind of alluded to a moment ago, don't, don't think I'm suggesting as we look at these promises in Psalm 46 that God's going to spare you difficulty because that army outside the gates of Jerusalem was a real army. It was a real dangerous situation. They were God's people, but this invading army had been allowed to have victory after victory, and now they're at the gates. And the people inside had reason to be concerned and had reason to worry. So I'm not trying to suggest you and give you some type of really, really positive message to where I'm telling you if you've trust in God, you follow him, you won't have any difficulties in life. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. But what I am saying in Psalm 46 and the Bible teaches is this, and that is right in the midst of whatever you're facing, God is there with you. 
And if we could train ourselves to remember that, whatever we're dealing with, whatever negative circumstances, God is going to be there present with us in in the midst of it. And we need to learn to find our refuge in Him and to focus on Him instead of just staring at the circumstances because regrettably, a lot of times what we do is stare at the circumstances. We need to remember that God... Right in the midst of our troubles, he's a shelter we can run to. He's a rock. He's our hope. He's our trust. We need to flee from him for protection. If you're out somewhere and a major storm blows up and you're outside, what do you normally do? You try and get in out of the storm. You try and find a place of protection. And we need to do that in our lives as we face difficulties in life. Regrettably, we do what the children of Israel did many times. The children of Israel was pretty renowned. Instead of seeking God first, they would start looking at other solutions. Many times they would turn to Egypt, and they would think, well, Egypt will come in and help us. Matter of fact, uh, King Hezekiah and the people in Jerusalem were doing that in this very story. They were thinking they could turn to Pharaoh in Egypt, and Pharaoh would come up and help them, and they would defeat the Assyrian king and the army and send them packing. But they were putting their faith in the wrong place. Look at what God says to his people about putting their faith in the wrong place in, in Isaiah chapter 30. Ah, stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carry out a plan, but not mine. I've been guilty of that. Have you been guilty of that? You ever carry out a plan and it's just your plan? You've not taken time to check with God and see if that's his plan or not? Who carry out a plan, but not mine. Who make an allegiance, but not of my spirit that they may add sin to sin. In other words, when we're in difficult circumstances and we trust somewhere other than God, that's actually sin for us because we need to be trusting in Him. He needs to be the one that we place our hope in. He said that set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore shall the protection of Pharaoh turn to your shame. In other words, you're trusted in the wrong place. It's not going to work out. You're going to be shamed because of it. And in the shadow of Egypt, to your humiliation. God's simply telling them, you're doing the wrong thing. You're looking in the wrong direction. You're trying to find your hope in the midst of difficult circumstances by looking somewhere other than me. And regrettably, we do that a lot of times ourselves, don't we? A lot of times, instead of letting God be our first solution, we might think of God down the road a little bit. We've tried three or four things, or maybe sometimes it's the very last thing we try, and we're trying to fix everything ourselves, and we'll turn to a lot of weak or flawed places or persons to try and be our refuge, and that doesn't work out, and it doesn't give us the hope and the solutions that we need. What we need to remember is this. We need to remember that God is our refuge, the same thing that the Psalms tells us here in the very first part of Psalm 46. Not only is God our refuge, God is our strength. It said, God is our refuge and strength, is what's said uh, in the first part of this psalm. The word strength literally means strength, force, security, majesty, praise, boldness, might. The root word means to be stout or to prevail. God is the one that helps us do those things. He's our strength when we're facing difficult circumstances. Put yourself in the shoes of the people inside the walls of Jerusalem, in, in King Hezekiah's shoes, for a moment. You have this army that I've already alluded to. That's pretty much whipped everybody. (laughs) And they're moving across the landscape, and they're on the way to your city. They're at your doorstop. So put yourself in their shoes. Imagine you're at home, and you look out the door, and there's an invading army waiting to come in and just wipe you out. That would shake you up just a little bit, wouldn't it? That's the circumstances that they found themselves in. 
and they had reason to really be fearful. I'm going to back up and read some of the history in, the, in Kings to give you a sense of, as to why they were concerned and why they were worried. And as I do so, recognize that you yourself, we're prone to do so. We're prone to, to allow circumstances that we hear in the news and everything else to afflict us. Here's the background of Psalm 46. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. And Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria at Lachish, and that's another city, kind of a little distance from Jerusalem. He was there uh, making his camp, making his plans to come in and fight against Jerusalem. Here's what Hezekiah tells him. I have done wrong, withdraw from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will bear. So the king of Assyria sends this message to Hezekiah, and the king of Assyria required of Hezekiah the king 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold, and Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found. Will you notice this? Where was the silver at? In the house of the Lord. You think maybe that would have been a wake-up call. Wait, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm putting my trust in the wrong way. I'm, I'm, I'm even going into God's house and taking the silver that's there to give to this heathen king. Trying to control the situation myself, trying to make him go away. And in the treasures of the king's house. Next slide. At that moment, Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the doorpost that Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. Not only did he go in and get the silver inside the temple, he's out ripping things off the temple. That thing that for them represented the glory of God. That's why they put the gold on it. It was to represent God's glory. And he's out there willing to rip it off and give it to this ungodly king in order to try and manage the situation himself without turning to the Lord. But it didn't work. Because we keep reading on down in verse 19, and, and it said, And Rashekah said to them, Say to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria. Now, King Sennacherib called himself the great king. That's why he used that phrase. That's how he referred to himself. I think he was an heir. There's only one great king that I know of. Amen. On what do you rest this trust of yours? Do you think that mere words are strategy and powerful war? In whom do you now trust that you have rebelled against me? Behold, you are trusting now in Egypt, that broken reed of a staff, which will pierce the hand of any man who leans on it. Such is Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. So in other words, he's been given this message through a heathen king that you're trusting in the wrong direction. You're trusting in Pharaoh, and it's not going to work out. But if you say we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and altars Hezekiah has removed? Now that's where they didn't know what they're talking about, because Hezekiah, being a good king, had pulled down all the high places. But from their perspective, from the Assyrian perspective, it was like Hezekiah was removing the worship of God. No, he was removing the worship of false gods. But still, I'm just, that's the perspective that they had as, as the Assyrians. Saying to Judah and to Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem. Which had God, that's what God had told them to do. Come now and make a wager with my master, the king of Assyria. 
So he's kind of challenging him to a bet. And here's the bet. He says, I will give you 2,000 horses if you're able on your part to set riders on them. So he's kind of making a spoof with Hezekiah. He said, I'll even give you horses if you can get 2,000 of your soldiers to ride on them and come out and fight with us. It's like he's making fun of him. He's, he's taunting him with all this said. How then can you repulse a single captain among the least of my masters? And what he's really saying there is this. If I give you 2,000 horses and you put 2,000 people on it, one of our servants will chase you away, your 2,000 men. Keep reading. When you trust in Egypt for chariots and for horsemen, moreover, it is without the Lord that, or is it without the Lord that I've come up against this place to destroy it? Like I said a moment ago, God was using him to chastise his people. The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Then Elikim, the son of Elkiah, and Shebna and Joah sent to Rishakim and said this, and more or less what they're saying, I'm going to paraphrase some of this. They said, quit talking to us so everybody in the city can understand. Speak in Arabic. We can understand your language. Don't talk in the language of the Jews because we don't want everyone up here getting more afraid. That's what they're saying. Hearing what you're saying to us. Next slide. But Rabshakeh said to them, Has my master sent me to speak these words to your master and to you, and not to the men sitting on the wall who are doomed with you to eat their own dung? You understand what that is? Do I need to expound on that? Okay. And to drink their own urine. Now, once again, you're in that situation. <laughs> There's an invading army out there, and they're outside the walls, literally taunting you and your king and your God. And they're saying that you're going to starve to death inside the walls. You're going to be to the point that you're willing to eat your own refuse. And you're going to be to the point that you're not going to have any water to drink. So you're going to have to drink your own urine. That's the challenge that's being given. And they're hearing that. So it would have shaken them at their foundation. They would have been worried and scared. Like maybe you are because of some circumstance in your life. Or maybe like you are when you look at the world around us today. And some of the news that you see. So even though Hezekiah messed up to start with, I want you to notice what he does now. As soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went in to the house of the Lord. I'll suggest to you that should have been his first option. Not turning to Egypt. Not going in the silver out of the temple. Not tearing the gold off the walls of the temple, off the doorpost of the temple. His first solution should have been to go into the house of the Lord. When we're facing terrors and troubles and difficulties in, in our lives, we're discouraged and maybe we're scared by what we see going on in our world. What we need to learn to do is this. Our first solution needs to be to seek God. And he sent Elikim, who was over the household, and Shebna the secretary and the senior priest covered with sackcloth to the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos. And they said to him, thus says Hezekiah, this day is a day of distress, of rebuke and disgrace. Children have come to the point of birth, yet there's no strength to bring them forth. He's, he's talking about travail. It's like we're without strength. We're having a child birth, but we can't bring it through. It may be that the Lord your God heard all the words of Rebshekah and 
whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to mock the living God. And will rebuke the words that the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. See, he messed up trusting in Egypt. He messed up trying to work things out by buying off this ungodly king that's coming in trying to overrun the city of Jerusalem. But now he's had his wake-up call. And now he turns to the Lord. And he prays himself. And he sends to the prophet Isaiah. And he said, will you please pray about this? Guys, I would suggest to you that gives us a pattern that we need to follow when we are facing those types of trials in our lives, when we're scared and we're shaking in our lives. We, we need to understand we ought to turn to the Lord first and we need to seek other people to pray for us. Some of you, and I had not planned, this in on my notes, I'm not planned saying it, but it's, I, I don't know, I feel like God, like the Holy Spirit kind of brought this to mind. Uh, one, at the end of the service, we're going to be praying for Brad and Brandy because they're getting ready to go to Guatemala uh, to take the, uh, the gifts for the kids, to the school supplies and things like that for them uh, that you help to provide uh, by giving uh, over Christmas time. So they're getting ready to go, so we're going to be praying for them as they go. In addition to that, as they plan, uh, and those of us who are going on the mission trip plan to go, all of us need to get a prayer partner. So some of those that are going, I'm just giving you notice. You're going to have some people come up to you and say, will you be my prayer partner? Will will you pray for me? Now, uh, I cheated a little bit because the very night I left, uh, I I called someone I thought could be a good prayer partner for for me there. Uh, And uh, Adrian, uh, Adrian, just stand up for a minute. Uh, and, and Adrian's wife, Evelyn, she's from Guatemala. He's from El Salvador. And I thought, he needs to be my prayer partner because he knows the culture there. So I have my prayer partner. But others that are going on the trip need a prayer partner. So they'll be coming up to you, and they'll be asking you to pray for them. Okay? Now, that's my little advertisement. Get back to the message. When we are going through difficulties and trials, we, we need to seek God's strength first. We need to understand that He's our, our strength. We need to turn to Him, and we need to trust Him in times of trouble. That ought to be the pattern that we follow, to turn to Him and pray to Him instead of seeking other solutions first. Second main thing I want you to get this morning, not only is God our, our refuge and strength, God is our, is our fortress, is our available help. He's our available help. Because the Bible said he's a very present help in trouble. Now, I'm going to walk quickly through some of the words that's used there in the Hebrew. Very means vehemently, holy, speedily, fast. It's used with other words as as an intensive superlative. In other words, to make it a a strong statement. Uh, The root word means this, and bear this in your mind. I'll try and remember to come back to this in just a second. But the root word means to rake together with a poker uh, turning and gathering embers in a fire. If you've ever sat at a, at a fire, fireplace, campfire, and you're raking around in it trying to get the fire sto- stoked back up. That's, that's what it's referring to. So he said God is a, a, a very present. And that word means to come forth, to appear, to exist, to be present so we can take hold of him. He's a very present help. He's our aid, our helper. Uh, the root word uh, means to surround as to protect or provide aid. In times of trouble. And the word for trouble is kind of an interesting word. It means tightness, uh, also trouble. It talks about a rival or an adversary, uh, adversity, affliction, anguish, distress, some situation in your life, tribulation, pushing you into a narrow spot. 
Because that's what the root word for the word means. It talks about a narrow, a tight place, like an opponent, uh, an opponent crowding you in and cramping you. Have you ever felt like that with the situations of life? Have you ever felt like everything's just crowding in on you? To where everything's pushing in around you, to where you just don't feel like maybe you can breathe. It's easy to happen in this day and time, especially when we listen to the news and we see everything that's happening and all the concerns that people might have. It's real easy for us to get concerned like that and feel like everything is just pressing in upon us. But when Hezekiah was in that tight place, he sought the Lord, as we read a moment ago. He realized God was his available help. Now, in just a moment, I'm going to read to you exactly how big of a help he was, how available he was to Hezekiah and the, and the people there in Jerusalem. But before I do, I want to give a qualifying statement. What I'm saying today does not mean that God will answer your prayer as fast as he did here. It doesn't mean that God's going to take care of the situation that you're going through as fast as he does for Hezekiah. But it does still mean this. He's a very present help, and you need to focus on him being a very present help even if you're still in the middle of it. Even if you're still being shaken by circumstances, you still need to hold on to him by faith because he can protect us and he can surround us. When our circumstances in life are causing uncomfortable tightness, when we're facing what we feel like is rivals and adversaries or afflictions and, ang- afflictions and anguish and distress and tribulation, when our circumstances have hemmed us into a tight spot where we feel like everything's crowding in on us, like I said a moment ago, and cramping our lives, we need to remember that God's a very present help. I've said this before, it's not original with me, but it's always true, I think. When the outlook is bleak, we need to try the uplook. When you're looking out around you and everything looks difficult and everything looks dangerous and everything looks scary, instead of just looking around you, we need to change our perspective and we need to try the uplook. Because Hezekiah looked beyond his own throne. He realized he couldn't deal with the circumstances. And he looked beyond the throne of the king of Assyria, of Sennacherib. He looked beyond his throne, who thought he was a great king, to the one that was really the great king. And that's where he put his faith and trust. And when he came to that point, here's what happens. The third thing we're going to talk about today is this. God, our fortress, is our confidence. Is our confidence. If we will remember, he's our refuge. If we will remember, he's our strength. If we'll remember, he's there. He's a very present help. You know, sometimes we miss that. We buy into this idea of we're here and God's way up there somewhere on his throne and somehow he's detached from us and he doesn't really care sometimes. That's the way we think many times when the truth of the matter is this. God is present. God is available to you. He's as close as your prayer. That's what Hezekiah found out. He went into the house of God and he fell before God and he prayed and he discovered that God was as close as his prayer. Therefore, it says in verse 2 and 3, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. In other words, think about what was just said. And there's some very descriptive language that's used there. I mean, think about that. You feel like all of a sudden the earth underneath you is just gone. There's no foundation for you to stand on. It's just giving way. Like a huge earthquake, your life is shaken in that degree. You feel like the mountains have been completely moved and tossed into the sea. And as a result of that, there's this huge tidal wave, this huge tsunami that's about to overflood your life because of the circumstances you're facing. And you look out and you feel like you see that wave coming. 
Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at the swelling of this tidal wave of difficulties as it comes your way. What we still need to do is remember that God is our refuge and strength, that God's a very present help. And if we'll remember in the midst of our circumstances, God is our refuge, our strength, and a very present help, we can have confidence no matter what we are facing. Go back to the historical background just for a moment. Let me do a couple of word studies. Uh, the word roar means to be in a great commotion, uh, to rage. It, it, it even uh, meant war, uh, which fits this background that's taking place in the city of Jerusalem in the time of King Hezekiah. A big clamor taking place. It refers to a, to a swelling. And the word swelling can also mean arrogance and majesty. I think that's got a purpose. We'll, I know it does, but I mean a specific purpose that fits the story that I'll talk about in a second. The implication is someone to be dressing themselves up, putting ornaments on themselves, so to speak, to make themselves look like they're excellent, to have a haughty, high, proud, swelled-up attitude of themselves. Now, go back to the historical background. The people of Jerusalem emotionally, I am guessing, not talk to them, but I'm guessing, I'm not that old, I'm guessing, though, with everything that was taking place and everything they were hearing and everything they were seeing, this army being on the way, I'm guessing they were pretty shaken. I am guessing, I'm betting that they felt like the very earth underneath them was just gone. And as they were looking out, they felt like a sea was coming their direction. By the way, in the Bible, a sea sometimes, the word sea refers to a mass number of people, not just a body of water. So the historical background is the people of the city of Jerusalem and Hezekiah, they look out and there's this vast sea of an army waiting to come in and attack them. The news is the army had advanced. They've been whipping everybody. It's like the mountains could not even stand before them, like the mountains were very shaken before them. And that would have been the emotional status of the people in Jerusalem. They were worried. They were concerned. They were upset about everything that was taking place. And to top it off, the pridefulness, the swelling, I told you I'd come back to that word a minute ago, meaning haughtiness, the pridefulness of the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, and his spokespeople are like they're just flaunting it. They're, they're just kind of taunting the people of Jerusalem with big threats. But even though that was the case, Psalm 46, many people feel like Hezekiah wrote Psalm 46, Psalm 47, and Psalm 48. So, so, even in these circumstances, Hezekiah writes these words. <clears throat> On the other side of probably everything taking place to commemorate what had happened. Therefore, we will not fear. That needs to be our stance as the followers of Christ. We cannot control circumstances. You may find out this week you've got cancer. Stage four, no hope. You may face a financial disaster this week. You may lose your job. You may be somewhere where a terrorist attack takes place. You may just be really discouraged and worried about your life and your family. 
maybe watching the news. And you're worried about the circumstances that you're seeing. We need to remind ourselves that Psalm 46 says, Therefore, we will not fear, even though all those things are true and all those things exist. Hezekiah sought the Lord, and I want you to see what his answer was. He sent word to Isaiah. And when the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, and Isaiah said to them, Say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid. Now, I'll finish reading in a moment, so keep, keep that on the screen. When did Hezekiah get the message of do not be afraid? Did he get the message of do not be afraid when he was thinking about putting his trust in Egypt and Pharaoh? Did he get the message of do not be afraid when he had taken the silver out of the temple and the gold off the outside of the temple and given it to the king of the Syrian army? When did he hear the message do not be afraid? Here's when it happened. It's when he quit trusting in other solutions and he bowed his head to God in the house of the Lord and he sent a word to Isaiah asking Isaiah to pray and the prophet sent back this word, tell Hezekiah, do not be afraid. You see, that's when we get the right answer. That's when we get the right solution. It's not when we're trying to figure out ourselves. It's not when we're trying to grab it with our own hands or trying to use worldly methods to fix whatever situation it is we're in. It's when we fall on our face before God and we trust in Him and nothing else. That's when we can find the answer. Do not be afraid. Because the words that you've heard, don't be afraid because the words you've heard with which the servants of the king of Syria have reviled me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. You see, God's going to take care of it. God's going to take care of this threatening situation for Hezekiah and the people in Jerusalem. And that same God is still on his throne. And that same God is the one that we need to trust in and have faith in. Right in the midst of whatever it is we face, it gets us so discouraged and so defeated in life, we need to fall on our face before Him. And we need to exercise our faith in Him. Not in ourselves, not in others, but put our trust in Him. He needs to be our fortress, our refuge, our strength, our available help, and thus be our our confidence. Now, I'll focus in this, what I'm about to read in more detail later as we go through this series, but I want you to see what happened. Here's what God did. God told Hezekiah, don't be afraid. So here's what God did. Look at what happens. 2 Kings 19. And that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. She said the Lord did that. 
Not that Hezekiah got a band of good men together and went outside the walls of the city during that night and chased off the enemy. No, they're still inside the city worried and concerned. They've heard a message, do not be afraid. And on that very night, God may not answer you like that, but I'm telling you, he's still the same God and he can answer you like that. And on that very night, 185,000 of the Assyrians died. And when the people that had been so worried and so scared got up the next morning and arose early, early in the morning, it said, behold, these were all dead bodies. I don't know what is worrying you. I don't know what you're wrestling with, what you're concerned about, but I believe God can make it like it's just a dead body before you. If you'll put your trust and your faith in him. And then here's the rest of the story. You see, Isaiah had said, this is what would happen to him. Then the natural king of Assyria departed and went home and lived at Nineveh. And as he was worshiping in the house of his God, notice where he is, of his false God. Why in the world he named his sons these names, I don't know. So I'm going to take the easy redneck way out and simply tell you this. While he's in the temple of a false God worshiping his God, two of his sons come in and kill him with a sword. And that's exactly what Isaiah said would happen. And one of the other sons become king after they flee. The point is simply this. God took care of their problem. They were scared. They were shaken. That's why you have those descriptive words in Psalm 46 like the earth being removed and mountains being cast into the sea and everything trembling and being shaken up, the way you might feel sometimes when you get in difficult situations in your life. And I'm just trying to encourage you in this series. I didn't plan on doing this series. We were going to be on vision and mission statement, and and God spoke to me during a devotional time in my home on Psalm 46, and I tried to push it off because I like Psalm 46, and I didn't want to do it simply because I gravitate toward it and I like it. The very next day after I announced that last Sunday, last Monday morning, Angela Sigmund sent me a message on my phone, and she said my devotional today on an app that she uses to have a daily devotional was on Psalm 46. That was kind of like confirmation for me that's where we're supposed to be. That also tells me some of you are really worried. Some of you are facing difficult circumstances in your life. You might be scared to death about ISIS and everything you see on the news. I want to tell you, whatever it is that's got you shaken up, the God that took care of the problem for Jerusalem and the people inside and King Hezekiah is the same God that's still on his throne. Instead of trying to fix it ourselves, we need to learn to trust in him. I don't know what you're facing. I know some of what you're facing. For some of you, because, well, I have to, in ministry, kind of deal with it some and hopefully try and help sometimes. The times I wish I could just make it go away. I wish I could wave a wand or a Bible over you and just make it all go away. The times I face things that I get worried about and upset about, and I wish I could just do this and it all go away. 
I wish I could fix it. I can't. But He can. And, and that's why I think God has us in this series. I don't know what you're dealing with, but I do know that God fully knows. He knows more about it than you do. And He can take care of it, but you need to let God be a refuge. Whatever your fear, and He can put it before you like a dead army that you used to be scared of. But you need to let God be your refuge. Let Him be your fortress, your refuge, your strength. Need to view Him as a very present help. In other words, you believe He can do something about it. And because He is your refuge and your strength, if you know Christ as your Savior, because He is your refuge and your strength, and He's a very present help, that ought to give you the confidence to walk through whatever it is you're facing. Knowing He's there with you. Let's pray. God, forgive us. When we tend to seek solutions other than you, forgive us for times when we think of you third or fourth or last instead of first in the circumstances of life. Lord, I'm sure in this number of people We have people here who are wrestling with difficulties and circumstances in their lives. Whether it be a sickness or their finances or their job or worried about family members, worried about relationships. Or whether it be they're just scared to death because of the situations we see developing in our world that we hear about on the news. God, forgive us when we fail to trust you. Father, I pray if there's anyone gathered in this worship service who has never, ever trusted in Christ, that you give them the faith they need right now to say yes to Jesus. And Father, all of us who have trusted, help us to be quicker to trust in you to turn to you first not last to stop trusting in worldly solutions and trust in you and here you tell us do not fear no matter what's taking place no matter how shaken you are by the circumstances do not fear Father increase our faith for it's in Jesus name we pray Amen the question right before we have a time of invitation is this is God your fortress it's real easy to say well yeah I believe God's the fortress or the Bible says he's a fortress Psalm 23 says the Lord is my shepherd but some people can quote that and he's not even their shepherd it's a completely different thing to say God is a shepherd God is the shepherd or to say God is my shepherd 
It's a completely different thing for you to recognize that God can help you in the midst of whatever you're going through. That God is a fortress. But that's completely different than you saying God is my fortress. So if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, why not do it today? I mean, think about it like this. Why in the world would you keep wanting to do it alone? Well, why would you want to keep trying to struggle with it? Why, why, why would you keep trying to fix your life when you can't? And He's waiting with open arms for you to turn and trust in Him. So if you don't know Him, why keep putting it off? Why keep doing it alone when God wants to be your fortress? He wants to be your Savior. Send His Son to die on the cross for your sins. And probably a lot of us today are like me. I am guilty more times than I would like to admit of trying to figure it out myself. Or getting really discouraged and worried and allowing those circumstances to make me feel like the earth has moved from out underneath my feet and mountains have been cast into the sea and I see this tidal wave headed my way. If you already know Christ as your Savior, let's not do that. So maybe you as a Christian, someone who already knows Christ today, maybe you need to slip up here during the invitation and pray and say, God, here it is. You know it already, but here's what I'm wrestling with. Here's what I'm dealing with. Here's what I've been so fearful about. But God, the best that I know how, I'm going to let you be in my fortress. We do that as we sing. Please stand. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.